1: You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream?
0: Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You
2: are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman.
1: At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you want. You can't let nobody make that decision for you.
2: How do you go about getting an exorcism?
0: I beg your pardon?
1: Hi, this is Mark Kerbo. Thanks for downloading this Kerbo on Film Podcast. This is a particular treat. Um, I'm joined on the podcast for the first time. I can't believe it's the first time you're on... My colleague and friend, and indeed mentor, the great Alan Jones. Alan, welcome to Kermode on Film. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks, Mark. I mean, you know, hey, listen, I would have been on before, but you've never invited me until now, so there you go.
1: I can't believe that I've never invited you, because now, just in case anybody doesn't know, so Alan was kind of the the, the trailblazer in terms of what we now refer to as genre journalism. Alan was writing from the set of Star Wars when uh, when the first Star Wars movie was made. His uh, articles appeared in Cine Fantastique magazine. When I first came from Manchester to London, Alan was one of the first people I met, along with uh, Nigel Floyd and Kim Newman, who took me under his wing and said... Young man, let me show you how film journalism is done. But <laughs> the reason we're here is because we're going to talk about a subject which is as close to your heart, I believe, as The Exorcist is to mine. So let me begin by saying that some years ago, I wrote a book about The Exorcist, which has just been republished, and uh, it's a nice new edition. And in the in the opening of it, I, I say thanks to, uh, to uh, a bunch of people But I specifically say thanks to you um, for being a great, you know, guide to me early on in my career. Also, over to my left, I have—I won't pull it off the shelf because it's huge. I have a huge book that you have written about Dario Argento, and Dario Argento is basically to you what The Exorcist is to me. So let's begin by—since this is a film podcast—I imagine that most people know. But just imagine for a moment. Somebody coming to this fresh, who is Dario Argento, and why is he important
0: Ah, oh, Dario Argento is one of the most influential Italian. Uh, directors in, in genre history, really. I mean, in 1970, he sort of, like, directed his very first film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. This is the original Italian post you see behind me, which is actually worth an absolute fortune. Of course. But uh But, you know, there you go. Um, and why was it an important movie? Is because it was one of the... I mean, Jallo films, as... Um, people would understand them. It's a, a giallo is thriller. Giallo is the Italian for yellow. Um, all thriller books in Italy were published by Mondadori in a yellow paperback wraparound. So they quickly became known as Jallo very quickly. And that sort of like transferred over to films. Um, Mario Bava was the person really who invented the genre um, with um, blood and black lace, The Evil Eye, and a section of uh, Black Sabbath. But Dario took the form and actually made it his own and became, I think, the most uh, famous person. What a Jello film is and why it's important is, yes, it's a detective thriller. Yes, there's a murderer. Yes, there's an assassin. But the assassin always wears black gloves, leather black gloves. And it's not really important who done it. What's important is how bloody it gets done. Um, <laughs> basically, that's it. The, 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 it's the murders that count. The more artistic, the more fabulous they are, that's what makes a childhood film. Because a lot of people see childhood and go, well, hang on a minute, I guess too that was. Um, Cat of Nine-Tails, the second film after um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, well, you know, seriously, you don't even know who the, the, the you know the killer is at the end. You go, uh, who's that? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the murders are so fabulous, and that's one of the reasons why I like him so much. The Masters of Tension, who gave you the bird with the crystal plumage, the picture that outpsychoed Psycho, have now made a film nine times more suspenseful. Cat nine Tales.
1: And Argento then kind of became the sort of touchstone for horror that everyone, I mean, when I was first in horror journalism in the 80s and early 90s, anybody you asked, you said, who was your influence? Well, they go the first thing they'd say is they'd say Dario Argento. Yeah. And you'd ask them to name their favorite Argento. So for a classic horror audience, what would be the, the big headline title horror films that Dario directed?
0: Well, Suspiria is the obvious one, isn't it? Um, it sort of slightly upsets me that since the um, the, the remake a couple of years ago um, that, you know, it's sort of been a bit sort of looked over now because, um, you know, that... The remake was very divisive, let's face it. Luca Guacodino, I hated it. I told him so as well. <laughs> um, um, so um, that's it. Dario was never keen on it either. But some people really like it because it went so far away from what the original film was, which was a was, was fairy tale vivid cartoon snow white in the black forest meets witches really um you Darry always told me that it was his walk disney <laughs> cartoon you know but on a massive horror canvas um, and it's a very important film not just because it uh, reinvented what witchcraft and italian horror was all about because of the soundtrack you know goblin let's be honest one that soundtrack well, I think as influential as tubular bells was on The Exorcist, no question of that.
1: It's interesting, I do um, a a soundtrack show on Scarlet Radio and we've played quite a lot of Goblin Hope these grigs. It's it's one of those things, it's like when people think of Halloween and they think of John Carpenter's uh, synth soundtracks, Goblin is sort of the uh the sump of all of that, isn't it? What we now think of as the as, as the eerie sort of prog uh, synthy sound. Mm. that all comes from Goblin now when I first yes. met you, one of the things that uh that I discovered it's like when people first meet me, it's like this is Mark he's obsessed with the Exorcist. When I first met you, I think Dario argento must have come up with it almost in the second sentence <laughs> and 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 he, he, over the years. You have known Dario personally, haven't you? You have covered his films. So just tell us about how that relationship between you and Dario has worked over the years.
0: Well, I mean, when I first saw The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in London in the 1970s, I have told him, and I've just written about it because there's um, a new exhibition going to Open in February in Turin at the uh, Film History Museum, all on Dario's career. I've written a lot of it. I will be going over and hosting a lot of talks there for it. Very exciting. Should have happened this year, of course, but yeah, they they put it on till next year. It's going yeah. to be on in Turin for five months. Wow. So if you're an Argento fan, it's really going to be worth going there and having a look. I mean, um, so. I've seen every film in sequence. Every film I saw, I loved even more. Profondo Rosso's another famous film, Deep Red. That's his Jello masterpiece, which everyone thinks. Uh, Suspiria had a sequel called Inferno. That actually is my favourite film of his because I think it is so beautiful. I've always said to him and other people who will listen that it's an aria of savage beauty, Um, (laughs) a a phrase I know you'll be very familiar with, Mark. Uh,
1: (laughs) I should say say for listeners, incidentally, the first time I ever heard you use that phrase was, this is interesting (laughs) because they've just recut The Godfather and it's now called uh, whatever it is, Godfather Coda or something, Godfather 3, pardon me, uh, Coda. And you and I, we saw the, the, the first screening of that in London and I was sitting next to you and it went down very badly with the audience. Except for you and I. You and I liked it as, as I remember. <laughs> and I think I remember really clearly was the film finished and there was this moment of silence before the titles began and you literally stood up and went, Well, I thought it was an aria of savage beauty yeah. and now whenever I think of the guy and this new version has come out, this coda thing, they said Do you want to I said, No, I don't want to see it. It will never be as good as seeing it the first time round with Alan declaring it an aria of savage beauty at the end of it.
0: And I used that phrase a lot now because it always makes me laugh <laughs> and always makes it always make, makes me think I put it I try and put it in every book I write so because it just I've actually put it in my new one too Discomania but anyway um but no so um in the late 70s I was working for one of the very first video companies video media um and by one of those incredible coincidences uh my boss Maureen Bartlett went to Cannes came back and said oh I bought this film I think you might like working on it. And when she told me it was Dario Argento's Tenebrae, well, I nearly collapsed on the floor, essentially. And she said, well, I want you to look after the publicity. And I said, oh, okay, then fine. What should we do? Well, you've got to bring him over, of course, for interviews, because I was angling to meet him anyway. He came over, I met him, well, he came over with Dario Nicolodi, actually his then partner. Um, She died recently, she was very very upset about two two weeks ago. She actually co-wrote Suspiria with him. Um, And he came over, and by one of those incredible coincidences again, I just had um, a retrospective of Dario's work published in a magazine called Cinema. And it was the month before he arrived, and he'd read it. (laughs) on the way in from the airport. And he said, oh, it's you. And I went, it's me. And he said, and that, seriously, that was it. We were inseparable from that moment on. Through 30 years, I've been on every single set of his film. I've covered every film of his um, on location in Italy. The only one I couldn't was Jallo, which was because of Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody refused to have me on set because he said I would ruin his eyeline. Um, <laughs> so." <laughs> uh, but I have actually had that before when I when I when I went to Argentina for Highlander 2 the quickening Sean Connery banned me from the set because he said I was ruining his eyeline so it's nothing new and I think that says a lot about those two actors I think it says reason. a
1: lot about you Alan you've been thrown off sets by Adrian Brody and Sean Connery
0: <laughs> <laughs> So it couldn't get anywhere. So, but listen, so and Dario and I have had a history together. I mean, every he's always invited me to his film premieres in Rome. I've always gone over. Um, I've supported him every way. One of the things he said to me back in when we first met in 1982, he said, I love what you say about me. You are a really good, you know, fan and friend. Um, If I tell you things, I want you to tell. My fans, the audience, and I've 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 actually fulfilled that brief. I've actually gone out and told him, told everyone, and through my book, which is in its sixth printing and it's just out again with the Suspiria remake on the end. Um, sorry, how many reprints has your Exorcist book had? Mark? Uh, four. Ah, <laughs> um, how many? Four. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, I'm up to six. Well, excuse so, me. Alan, are we so cl- are we including
1: translated editions? There's also the French edition oh. and the Japanese edition.
0: Well, I'm not going. I'm going to oh, no. That's not right. No, but hang on. My Saturday night, Saturday night forever. My disco book had more translations than your ex's book. So there, I'm still beating you there. So okay. So the so
1: so the book because the books the, the name of the book has changed mm-hmm. during. You've so- got the
0: old behind you's the old edition. Yes,
1: that's right. Yes, which I which I love because also because it's signed from you. So what is the book now
0: called? Dario Argento: The Man, the Myths, and the Magic.
1: And it's it's published by Bad Press, who I have to say do an absolutely brilliant job of presentation. One of the things about the book, which is a, it's a real tabletop book, mm. is not only does it have all those incredible, uh, you know, if it, it, it is it is everything, to turn a phrase that you used about me, everything you never wanted <laughs> to know about Dario Argento, but was scared Alan was going to tell you anyway, in one place, but also astonishing stills. And not stills that you can just get anywhere because you have really gone to town and collecting visual stuff, haven't you?
0: Well, I used to every time Dario invited me over to his apartment in Rome, he had a. He, there was one point where he had like a, a room of just stuff, you know, like he had the sofa from Tenebrae that Dario um, that Dario gets more or less killed on at the end, and he had posters everywhere and scripts. And every time I'd go over, I'd go into the you know to the room and I'd sort of take things, and I, and because he's furious with me now because he now knows that I mean it's worth quite a lot of money. The one thing he hated me taking the most, I have. To tell you is when i was on the set of opera um in 1987 um, i took the actual opera basement sign where (laughs) urbano barberini walks past us before (laughs) he's about to get killed and I actually, because they were going to burn the set down, so I actually ripped it off. I've still got it. And when Dario found out that I actually had it, because he wanted it, because he was looking for it, he was <laughs> really furious. That's one of the few times he's ever really got really annoyed with me, actually. But um, <laughs> so no, look, I mean, what can I tell you? I mean, yes, we're good friends. Yes, I know him, I will support him. But that doesn't mean to say I give him an easy pass. You've read the book. No. You know that there's some... Bits in it where i really do take him to task over certain things and films i've never been a fan of phenomena the film he made in 1984 and i i still don't like it if people like it great but i mean i just uh, it's not one of my favorites the wind yes the fawn, very particular wind typical of this part of the country it comes from the alps the blasts of warm air cause snow avalanches while it blows there are those who say it causes madness
1: okay but I have to ask you this Alan because it is you know when you've got that kind of relationship with somebody I'll, I'll say that, you know you and I are very good friends we go way way back um And you have never been backward in coming forward with an opinion. Uh, You are one of the few people I know who will tell somebody who has made something that they hate it to their face. And not only that, you will actively seek them out. And um, have you always done that with Dario? Have you always been completely straight with him?
0: I really have. I mean, phenomena really I mean, I thought our friendship was over even before it started, really, because I actually went to Los Angeles to see that um, at the American film market because that happened every uh, February and I wanted to see it. And I literally was sitting in a, in a cinema all on my own. And at the end of it, he really wanted to know what I thought of it. And I just hated it. And I said to him, I'm sorry, I just don't like it at all. He didn't speak to me for a year. But then... Sort of came round mm-hmm. once I started, you know, liking things like Demons and Opera, which I think is a masterpiece. I think yes. uh, it's such a great film. And then we got back to normal. But, you know, hey, listen, these things happen. But you're right, I cannot tell people, darling, it was wonderful. I just can't. If I don't like something, I will tell them. Some people have sort of accused me of, well, you should have picked a moment a bit better. I mean, you know, tell, <laughs> tell, you know telling people like, uh, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn that. Neon Demon wasn't very good on the night of its cam premiere. It was probably a mistake. But, um, you know, what can you say? <laughs> but no, I, I, and don't forget, you're like me, Mark. I mean, you know, because we've, we're, we're film critics anyway, and because I do Fright Fest, of course, I cannot be submitted a film to Fright Fest and then people get hold of me and say, well, what did you think, what did you think? Because they're thinking, well, am I going to programme it in the festival or not? And yeah. I have to tell them, honestly, look, no. And I've, I've realised that if I actually did say something like, no, it's OK, it's not. look, it's not for Fryfest, we're not going to show. They'd only read my review further down the line anyway yeah, and realise yeah. what I said. So they might as well know right, straight away. And that's why I think I've lasted in this business so long, because people know if I like something, I like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. And they know that I'm not actually going to be sort of playing any favours.
1: No, I think it is absolutely true that that straight-talking thing is is, is a strength, and it, also you're right. They're going to read your review anyway. You might as well tell them to your face because there's nothing worse than smiling. Somebody say yes, it was great, and then them reading uh, you know a, a review later on that you didn't like. Now, in terms of the um, in terms of the new version of the book, you've you've updated it because of the Susperia remake. Is that correct? I wanted so- to,
0: yes, I wanted to do that mainly because. Um look when I interviewed Luca Guno, I did tell him that I didn't like the film, and i said good. as long as long as you know that i said yes, can we is. have a can we have a really good sort of like talk and he gave me a great interview. I have to be honest with you, he was fantastic he said everything that that, that i needed to know about what it was about and that's what i've put in the end because as much because you know, all the way through the book i you know i've got dario saying the suspiro remake will never happen and then of course it does um i'm gonna have to change it again because i'm we're on call at the moment because dario is about to direct another film a new one uh, dark glasses occhiali neri um i'm waiting to hear when that starts um of course at so the current way no one knows what's gonna happen but yeah. um, i i will the moment that he starts filming i'll be over there and having a look i hope he films in turin again because i actually want to get back to rome he's always said is too 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 busy for to be filming in now oh he fakes rome all the way through his 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 work of course um you, what you think is in rome isn't it is turin because that was the original uh you know capital of the Italian film world before Mussolini decided to move it to Cinecittà, which he built purposely for it. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Now, wh- one of the things that uh, just... Because I, I've known you for so long, I kind of assume that people know uh, your credits. And just in case anyone who's listening doesn't obviously, you know, uh, found a member and, and uh, uh, forefront of Fright Fest, and that dates way back to the days of what used to be Shock Around the Clock, which was uh, you and uh, Stefan, you know, back in the days of the Scala. Um, but if anyone's seen The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, they will notice a credit on it which says, and introducing Alan Jones, don't roll your eyes at me, Alan Jones, that says, and introducing Alan Jones, uh, you are in the great rock and roll swindle because, as, as 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 has been said by many people, largely you, almost every single piece of footage of uh, of the punk movement, particularly with the Pistols, it was if you move the camera just a little bit to the left, you'd see Alan Jones. <laughs> you are you are in the great rock and roll swindle, but
0: you wouldn't know it, would you? No. Nice. How are you? How are you in it? Because I, I, my my first screen test was for Russ Meyer and when he was directing it, and Malcolm and I, Malcolm McLaren and I went along to his suite and he cast me in that. And then of course it went through all the machinations, you know, Russ was fired, Pete Walker took over because, you know, Malcolm was looking basically for a sort of like a British version of Russ Meyer. And I said, well, Pete Walker, so that, that didn't last too long. And then of course, Julian, then Julian, you know, said to me, um, Julian Temple. Uh, oh, sorry, Julian Temple said to me, oh, "Look, Alan, be in it." am um, Some here's some scenes. I was in four scenes originally, four really good <laughs> ones, actually. But but for whatever reason, budget cuts. I they, I was turning up on the the location to do stuff that we they never got round to. I was mm-hmm. I I was just sitting around doing nothing. And the only thing I'm in is I'm in the frogman suit in the bathtub with you know the girl trying to fish. Um, you know, my genitalia out with a fish hook, shall we say. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, you gave me an introducing Alan Jones. I know. But,
1: covered but from head goodness. covered from head to foot in rubber, face completely obscured, ladies and gentlemen, and introducing Alan Jones. <laughs> and Alan, I think in many ways That speaks volumes about and introducing Alan Jones. Can I tell you?
0: Because I got sick to death of actually reading all the stuff that I did with the pistols in other people's books. So my new book that will be out in next the end of next year, Disco Mania. For the first time ever, I've put all my Sex Pistols stories together. You know the T-shirt arrest. You know the boat party. You know, my, my times with Sid and Nancy. You know, in fact, I'm sitting in the flat where Sid and Nancy and I would often have tea. Um, so uh, there's that. So all those stories have gone into my new book, Discomania, um, because I got so bored with other people's opinions of what it was. And I said, no, this isn't right. I've actually got to put the record straight for the very first time. Because as much as I love that period, Mark, and I I would not change anything, so much has sort of been said about it and so much has been wrongly said about it that I need once and for all to put it down in paper.
1: Um, Your your love of disco is well known to me, may may be a surprise to to some people. Not only uh, are you a a great enthusiast of disco and Eurovision, there is no one in the world who knows as much about uh, European pop, I think. Uh, You are also the star of a 10cc video, which when you and I were last together, and it's been very strange, this has been such an odd year, because usually you and I, would we would end up spending time hanging out together because that hasn't happened. the last time we were, I said, Alan, I have been trying to find this video in which you allegedly are roller skating to the sounds of 10cc, and we finally found it. Uh, what's the song actually called? Because the reason I couldn't find it before is you have got the title of the song wrong. What's the I song know, called?
0: and I still have. I, again, I put all this in the new book as well, 125. Beats to the minute. Or I think it was just one, two, five. It ended up being in the end. I've got some great behind the scene pictures of, of of me on the set of that being made up, it's just great and also, to be honest with you, in the book you're going to find a picture of you in there that you've never seen before really? uh, which is really good <laughs> I'm really pleased with that So, uh, but, no, but, but,
1: but, but just to but, but go you are the roller skating star of a of a 10cc disco outing and that, docu- that, uh, that video was directed by who?
0: Russell Mulcahy
1: You and Russell Mulcahy have a very long history. He obviously directed the the Highlander movies, started out doing uh, pop promos, and as as legend famously has it, when Russell was beginning in his film career, he ended up sleeping on your floor.
0: This is true. I mean, I I first met uh, Russell at Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the you know, the Leonard and Nimoy remake. Yeah, the and, Calvin uh, version. Uh, I gave him a ticket to go and see it because our our, best, our mutual best friend is a guy called Keith Williams. Keith wrote all of Russell's concepts at that particular time. If you want to know who came up with the television beginning of Video Killed the Radio Star, that was my friend Keith. And through Keith, Russell, uh, we went all over the world together on these things. You know, seriously, we went, you know, the very first time I went with Cannes, was with Russell and Duran Duran for Highlander. I mean, you know, for heaven's sake, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? And I, you know, so you know, there you go. I, I shall never forget that. That was a, a really great moment. Um, again, I mean, you know, Russell, well, I mean, you know, I hitched my wagon to the right star. I mean, with, with, with Dario, I sort of got the right guy there with, with the new video, you know, era. I sort of got the top guy there, and we went everywhere together. So it was fun.
1: Now, also famously, Alan, way way back in the past, it was at one point you were the, you were you because the way that you met all these people was, was that you worked in a hotel. Which hotel was it that you worked in?
0: Well, from 1971 to 1976, before I went to work for Vivian and Malcolm and Sex, I was at the Portobello Hotel. Um, and which, that was where all
1: the sort of rock stars would stay, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody. I mean, Abba, you know, I, you know, we, I was spending, you know, all night with Abba, all night with Queen, all night <laughs> with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, you know, there wasn't anybody. Carly Simon, you you, you said this because you want me to tell you that story where Carly yes. Simon gave yes. me yes. the very first version of You're So Vain. Yeah, I knew you'd bring that up. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, that, no. I oh, mean, so, so, okay,
1: so tell us, tell, so, sorry, don't just how, tell us that story because it's a good story.
0: Well, it's not, I, I mean, Carly Simon was staying in the hotel. She came through the door. I was there. I've got a, my new record. Come and have a listen to it. <laughs> and it was just so vain. And it was so there you go. I mean, but no, those were those were great times, very important times for me, because I met everybody I'd ever wanted to meet. I mean, Richard Dreyfus just before he became big with Jaws, Jessica Harper from Suspiria. I mean, everybody came through those doors. I mean, Ryan O'Neill, I all the stuff I did with him and regarding Barry Linden, you know. <laughs> Jack Nilkerson on the Antonioni movie because the the passenger was filmed just around the corner and everybody stayed in the hotel. I mean, it was just amazing. When I look at my entire life sometimes, Mark, I actually think, I just can't believe it because I literally went from one major sort of phase to another all the way through it. I sort of, I was literally on every single wave. I mean, and it was just brilliant. So, you know, and I was doing all the horror stuff on the side as well. I was actually with... um, I was doing some stuff on the the new Studio Canal release of Link because I was on the set of that, the Richard Franklin movie about the yeah, crazy ch- yeah. chimpanzees. And I was talking to the guy who was filming me and he said, oh, I need somebody to um, talk about this film and that film. And that. I said, well, I was on all of those films. People tend to forget that literally if there was a film being made in the late 70s, 80s, early 90s, I was there, you know, so um you
1: know you told me once that when and I think it was around the time of Star Wars but this is such a different era that you approached them and said look I'd like to come on the set and you know write some stories and they said
0: why mm. that wasn't Star Wars I mean this was that this was the very last hammer movie Oh, okay. it was to the devil a daughter and uh, and I would ring them up and I'd go well, I would like to cover the film and, they, and that literally you were right that's exactly what they said why? And I said, well, I can put it in magazines uh, to make sure that you know, people knew the film was out. Oh, they, they had such a <laughs> rigid way of doing it. It, it was so, so incredibly, uh, you know, I was literally, you know, with Carrie, for example, I literally spent a day with Sissy Spacek on Carrie because, you, know, you know, the publicity company didn't know really what to do with her. And I said, oh, I'll look after her. So I mean, that was it. Those were the days. And my famous, you know, story about Brian De Palma was, you know, how I managed to interview him and get all the material I did was because we were in his limo going to the airport and it broke down, so we had nothing else to do (laughs) apart from wait for the guys to turn up to repair the car and talk about his career.
1: It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is
2: there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes.
0: Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's
1: Carrie! Where was the first place you got published? People always ask me, you know, like, how could I, you know, how could I become a film critic? And my answer is, I don't know in the current, in the current era, it's so different. I mean, it, everything was print when I started out. What was the, where was the first place you got published?
0: City fantastic. Um, and, how did it, and how
1: did it happen? How did how did your writing get into Cine Fantastic? which, as any genre fan will know, is pretty much, you know, the Bible of uh, science fiction and fantasy?
0: Mm. Uh, essentially, my best friend, Mike Childs, who was a producer at Capital Radio um, at that time, had met a guy called Chris Knight. Chris Knight, as I found out later, which I thought was interesting, ran the, the Joe Meek um, fan club, which I thought was brilliant, because <laughs> I've always loved Joe <laughs> Meek too. But Chris was sort of vaguely sort of circling um, horror film locations. But he just got married, and his wife had put the, his her foot down and said, look, I've had enough of this. All this genre stuff's got to stop. So he said to me and Michael, do you want to take over? And I said, sure. So that's what we did. We literally had no experience, Mark. The very, the very first... Uh, Um, interviews we did was on an old typewriter and I always remember getting every line wrong and having to rip it out and starting again (laughs) I mean because it was just that stupid it took me I remember our first thing took us all night To do Um, this is also in conjunction with the fact that for the last for twenty years I was writing a a diary of my film reviews. In fact, on Twitter at the moment I'm putting down dates and all the times and the cinemas that I actually saw key films of the sixties and seventies. Because it's there, I've got it all, and I'm turning that into another book, by the way, at the moment as we speak. Those
1: those diary entries are remarkable because you put um, you put up your diary entry for the best films of 1977 and you put Exorcist II, The Heretic, <laughs> above which Argento was it in that year?
0: Suspiria, I know. Incredible, uh, Above Suspiria? Yes, it,
1: it's like... Have you lost your mind?
0: <laughs> I loved it when I read through my review. I can see exactly why I liked it. But did you love the? Because I sent you the cover of the diary of Jeremy and the Exorcist on yeah, just to show that Jeremy was such an, a key film for me at that particular time.
1: But, well, again, this is there's, there's a new version of Jeremy coming out. I was a going, I was going to be involved in doing a commentary for it, but Ooh. all this stuff happened. No, all this stuff happened, and it didn't happen. Um, I think oh. it's now got a quote for me on it. Yeah, it's a real shame because. When you and I, you know, first knew each other, Jeremy was a film that I loved and you and nobody else had even heard of, and we kind of bonded over it over the and, song because uh...
0: we could sing the song. <laughs> <laughs> I have a blue balloon, 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 a happy tune, and dreams enough to last me all through the afternoon. I have the New York Times and fourteen dimes. And explanations for the most
1: profound nursery rhyme. Well, Anyway, so anyway, before we all burst into tears. But yes, it's there's a new version of it coming out. And I think oh, it's yeah. got a quote from me. Yes, which is lovely, finally. Because for so, ages so and ages I, it's been I, kind of unavailable. But, we, really but like, we loved I've... it. We loved that film. And you, you, you had a cover of your diary, which, which you put on one side of it, Jeremy, on the other side of it, The Exorcist. And you put, this is why Mark and I are friends.
0: It's true. I mean, that's go- I mean we've always had the same sort of uh, that. But going back to very briefly, because I, I used to write the diary entries when I'd see the films in, in the Portobello Hotel. And you know, so it was really weird to sort of like write the review of Race with the Devil, and then Jack Starrett, the director, would check in and i would be going, Oh, I'm actually reviewing your movie. But the one thing that did, Harlan Ellison, who I who was so such a great guy, um, the science fiction writer, he did a lot of he did Star Trek and various other things like that. Um, he actually said he'd read my reviews and he did. And he said that he thought they were pretty good. So that was a really nice thing that from from a no from somebody who's sitting behind a desk in a hotel writing these things, and for a really world famous Nebula winning writer to tell you, look, he might have been lying just to be nice. I don't know, <laughs> but, but it actually, it was a nice. It was a very nice thing that he did, and I actually will always remember that he signed a book to me actually, um, and I. I treasure it because he, he died recently too, and I I'm I absolutely treasure it. really.
1: So you have an incredibly busy year coming up. I mean, hopefully, I mean, 2020 has not been the year that any of us would have wanted it to be. It has been really, really strange. But so uh, the Dario book is out when? Is now. that now? It's out now. Go to fa-
0: if you want to go, go to the Fab Press web- website, www.fabpress.com. You can order it there or you can find it in all fine bookshops.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and the, the, the book, the, the, the Discomania book, the thing that you've been writing, you know, which is kind of putting the record straight, when are you going to finish that? When is that That's going done. to be ready? I've, I've it's now now done already. It,
0: but I've told um, Harvey, my publisher, that I don't want it coming out until the end of next year so I can actually go on the road. In fact, me and you, I hope. We'll yes. be doing something together on this. We've already made. We've ta- had early talks about it, so um, that'll be yeah. quite good, I think. Well, I, honestly, yes. I,
1: I, I can think of a few things that would be more fun than being on stage with you talking about your <laughs> talking about. Well, well yeah, there
0: is that, but I mean, it's not just about the disco main. It's not just about me. The whole nobody, I'm nobody's that interested, really. What it is is it's my hundred and one top disco movies. Why they're important culturally and why they're musically important, and, and every single disco song that's in it. In fact, the, the subtitle of Discomania is Fantastic Beats and Where to Find Them.
1: Just, sorry, just, just say that pun again, Alan, because it's, it, it's worth repeating.
0: <laughs> Fantastic Beats and Where to Find Them.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the great... Alan Jones, it's a, a real pleasure. I can't believe that we haven't done this podcast before um, uh, because as I said, you have, you know, you and I go back a very long way and you were, uh, I've said this before, for, for the record, you were the person, it was you, Kim, Nigel, were the three people who took me by the hand and said, it's okay. We'll show you how this world works. And you were the person who introduced me to Fangoria magazine and got me writing for Fangoria magazine. And, uh, and 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 it's and I, I, I it this, even after all these years, you still tell me story, stories that I hadn't heard before. I remember the first time you said, "Oh yes, I I was roller skating in." The, I was like, what you were what, what? How when did that happen? I mean, yeah, So uh, I'm sure you'll come back on the podcast again to uh, to talk more of the fabulous life of Alan Jones. Well, I'd to love whom. to. I'd,
0: my, my, I love you, Mark. You know that. I mean. You know, we're friends and everything, but you know, it's it, I just I just I just love what you do anyway. I mean I think it's so great. I mean really Yeah
1: okay. We can do this stuff in private, Alan. Okay, okay. you know, this is this is just us being nice to each other. So anyway, so the book
0: again is called Dario Argento, The Man, the Myths and the Magic.
1: Dario Argento, The Man of the Myths and Magic, as published by Fab Press, I can absolutely guarantee you it is everything you never wanted to know about Dario Argento but were scared Alan was going to tell you anyway. Thanks ever so much for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. If you've enjoyed it remember to subscribe, tell your friends uh, go over to our Patreon page where there's a bunch of extra stuff available and uh, stay safe, keep watching the skies